LifeWay Leadership Podcast Network. You're listening to the Five Leadership Questions Podcast. I'm your host, Todd Atkins, and I'm here today with Daniel M. Hello, hello. And I know we say this a lot, but a very special guest. And this time he really is special because he co-hosts our other podcast, which is Ed Stetzer, the infamous Ed Stetzer. I, I was hoping for something other than infamous, um, perhaps, perhaps kind and gracious and loving. You know, other things come to mind. But what do I know? Okay, I work with that. Okay, infamous it is. Infamous to lay around Lifeway. You know, once you blew up the old building, uh, the restraining order no longer counts. So <laughs> it was just for the old building. So I'm coming just... to the new building. <laughs> you you have, you've been here, right? I've been no, I've never building. been to the new building. Uh-uh. I mean, it's been, really? I saw you, I watched the videos where you blew up my old office. I was like, hey, that's my office. Ah, there it goes. But I've, ne- I've never been there. I, I helped like to discuss the design as a vice president. I've never been there. So this is my closest I get is these you podcasts. It's really interesting. I found the best tweet after that came from one of uh, your, your friends and who's been on the podcast several times now is Scott McConnell. Yes. What was the, what was his tweet? He's got quite the sense of humor. He does. He said, he said, uh, so in the video, when you see the building topple, the last thing to fall over is the elevator shaft. And he said those elevators never did cooperate. That's true. But they never did work well. It was always waiting on those elevators. Very, so very true. We call Scott McConnell the sniper because he's like, he's not, you know, he's, he's, he doesn't say much. But then when he comes in, it's like the clean shot and he's out with that humor. He's off. Good deal. Well, um, you know, one of the things, the reason why Scott was on previously is, is for research, but you kind of helped found that area and really bring it to, to prominence with Lifeway Research. And this book that we're about to talk about today, Christians in the Age of Outrage, um, brings some heavy research to bear, uh, as well as your unique insight. One of the things I appreciate about Ed is, you know, we all have a tendency to, to look at numbers and come to conclusions, but Ed always... Uh, helps guide that uh, in a more intelligent and hmm, intentional way of looking at things. Do you still say facts are our friends? I do. It's kind of my thing. I don't think I, I think I do say it once in the book, maybe. So facts are our friends and math doesn't care about your feelings. Those are, <laughs> everyone needs a catchphrase, you know? I mean, everyone's got one, you know? So it's, it's you got, what's your catchphrase, Todd? You got a catchphrase, right? I don't know. Yeah. Something about your fruit on people's trees. I mean, I've heard you say that lots yeah, of times. I think his is words build worlds. No, Word, that's Bill not Word. Mine. Oh, it's not yours. Then, no, I don't know who and, it is. We should Google it. And then it. Daniel's is, hey, you're late for our podcast. <laughs> that's the thing I hear Daniel say the most. <laughs> <laughs> let's go. Let's go. Come on. <laughs> Daniel just says, hello, hello. Yes. Hello, hello is my kind of thing. Well, Ed, so for this yes. book, Christians in the Age of Outrage, uh, when if, even if you were to, before we get into the questions, I did have a question in light of the title and the, yes. the cover image. Are you yes. the sheep or are you the wolf's? <laughs> It's a yeah. fox. Okay, so fox. people people can't see in a podcast. It's it's a wolf, so it's a sheep, and then kind of coming out of its nostril, not nostril, its nose, its jutting out nose is actually the snarl of a wolf, and and it's symbolic of that. Sometimes it's Christians acting like wolves when rather than being sheep. Sometimes it's and that, you know that's just one of the pictures. You know the the book deals with outrage from Christians, but also outrage toward Christians and how we should deal with both of them. So. But that is that is that is actually uh, I am the sheep. I'm seeking to be the sheep. But I, I could add another animal in there. I want to be wise as a serpent and gentle as a dove. Mm, snake bird, <laughs> snake bird. Wow. Well, let's wow. get into the first question then. <laughs> you guys are really uh, 
on rare form today. All right. So good. Good. <laughs> All right. So the first question. Hashtag Snickbird. All right. Let's go. Okay. All right. The first question. And it's, it's you know, particularly in, in light of the fact that that image is half wolf, half sheep. In the book, you talk about eight personas of Christian leaders online, some of them being more sheep-like and others being more wolf-like. So why don't you talk to us about those personas and how you'd advise us as Christian leaders to engage online? Yeah, so we go through a series kind of of these of these uh, personas. And uh, for example, the vengeful outcast, you'll find some Christians online who are just mad and they're just angry all the time. And, uh, and, and, you know, they, they, they kind of, kind of spew forth consistent outrage and anger and, and, you know, maybe they went to vacation Bible school for a dozen years. Now they know, they know everything about everything that every church believes. And sometimes these, these outcasts become kind of, uh, proxies for engaging with the community. I want to, you know, if I want to have a conversation, learn about Catholicism, do I go to ex Catholics or Amatic Catholics or, or what? So we've mm-hmm. seen a lot of people like that. Sometimes it's the chicken little, you know, the sky's always falling. And, and I know some evangelical tweeters who they're just constantly, I mean, consistently filled with, um, you know, the sky's falling. Uh, all evangelicals are going to, you know, they're all losing, they're leaving the gospel and more. And that just doesn't make any sense. Um, talk about the controversy hunter. And that's easy to find, by the way. It takes about two clicks to find a good controversy. But then always tweeting it, asking, or maybe writing about it. Will this get likes or views? Uh, the proverb machine I actually, I, to be perfectly honest, I was, I was talking about somebody uh, when I said this, somebody who really loves Jesus, but he just like, everything's like a Bible verse or a proverb, um, you know, never having anything other than a proverb to say. Um, I'm not sure that, sure, sure that helps. Uh, the culture crusader, you know, it's always, you know, I'm mad about this. We got to defend something else. And it kind of goes on. And uh, a couple others are the, her- the her- heretic retread. You know, someone who's always going to, you know, constantly just have less left the faith and continues to, to push. You think about this or that, the passive aggressive subtweeter is the one who, uh, I mean, the subtweet's so awesome. It's like you can say something when you're not really saying something, but everyone knows <laughs> you're saying something. And then finally, the political obsessive where every single tweet, I see this all the time. I, I've gotten to the point now when I see someone reply to me, like if it's you guys, I know you are, and we'll, we, we go back and forth. But if someone replies to me, and it's something really kind of, I don't know, out of the blue crazy. One of the things I ask is, is, um, is, is I actually click and see on their uh, account. And if it's just, you know, if it's constant MAGA, 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 or if it's constant, I hate, you know, I hate throw, I hate so. so I just don't generally respond any longer. I just don't think mm. that it's, it's helpful uh, anymore. So, so, so again, that's been kind of my, kind of my, uh, approach to social media. Not perfect, but what I've been doing. Yeah. So with that outline, and, and I'm a little, it's a little sad that you don't have little graphics of each persona there. Wow. I think that could have been wow. You could have added one and we wow. could have had a nine hey, anything box I, You guys want to suggest anything else about what I should have fixed or I'm happy to, <laughs> I'm happy to do that. Well, okay. So in light of these eight personas, how would you advise Christian leaders to engage online then? Well, I think ultimately it's ultimately stewarding it well, right? But first of all, put your social media uh, under the lordship of Jesus Christ, right? So acknowledge that this is an area that for many people, for many Christians, they have not done particularly well. So do do better. Um, you know, don't feel it necessary to engage in every controversy. And when you do, you know, it's it's interesting. You know, we had the, not this not that long ago the Supreme Court uh, debate over uh, now Justice Kavanaugh, and and I really want to caution Christian leaders to remember that there are a lot of Christians who maybe have gone through an abusive situation 
And a lot of Christian leaders are sort of defending uh, now Justice Kavanaugh, and I, I get it. Uh, but what I would say is don't tweet in such a way or put on Facebook in such a way in your defense that you actually have women or even some men or others in your church say, well, he's just never going to take seriously anything about abuse. So what I would say is just realize that people are watching, people are listening, and you want to make sure that you communicate well and clearly about what you believe, ways that you try, try not to have them be misunderstood, and just kind of take those, take those rightful responses and seek to glorify God through your social media. I got to tell you, part of the thing is, I mean, there's a whole world right now. They're being discipled by their cable news channel. They're being mm. shaped spiritually by their social media That's feed. Good. And I just think pastors and Christian leaders need to lead even through social media in a way that glorifies God and helps shape a conversation that's better. That's good. So one of the reasons for outrage in the recent slew of Christian leaders, sexual abuse, misconduct, all these things have happened. In the book, you talk about how the church comprises, compromises its faith um, and witness when it protects the powerful at the expense of the victim. So why do you think this happens and what effect does it have on the church and our leadership? Well, because we love the church, so we want to protect it. But the end result is um, is that people can get very hurt through that process. And so, I mean, we, it doesn't take to go far. I mean, look at how people responded poorly in the uh, Bill Heibel situation, right? So, hmm. And uh, so what happened was, and you, we watched it unfold, and and with, with scary similarity, I wrote this article on when Andy Savage was um, accused at High Point Memphis. And you know, the church gave a standing ovation. I wrote an article. It was the standing ovation heard around the world because it was wrong. It was just not helpful. It, hmm. it gave the wrong message. Uh, and so when, when Bill Hybels got up and uh, kind of by his own force of his personality, said, I need all of you to support me and all of you to get around me. Um, and they have this picture of everyone gathered around the standing ovation. But what happened was, is rather than take seriously, particularly with credible allegations, it, it, what, it, that eventually... All the people in that picture, you can see the picture online, right? It's got, it's got Heather, it's got Steve, it's got all the elders. They're all gone now. Every single one of them is in the process of transitioning out. So, so whereas, so Bill Hybels' sin and Bill Hybels' actions, when not being addressed, where you could have just said, listen, we've had some accusations against our pastor. Um, as the elders, we love our pastor. And so we think the best thing for our pastor is we're going to investigate these allegations and uh, we're not going to have much more comment on it until we do. We're going to have a credible outside investigation to look at these things. And then the end result is you kind of go through that and, and, and take those next steps. And instead, again, I have the picture. I have the picture on my phone. I took the picture on my phone and I, and I sent it to uh, actually some of the people on that stage. And, and I said, here's how you got to walk through. Here's, now that you made this mistake, what do you do next? And it just wasn't recoverable. So every person on the stage that stood with Bill Hybels is now out of their role, out of their job, wow. out of out of the out of the ministry role they had as elders or staff, and that's because church didn't take seriously accusations. So now swing that back to you. So those accusations come. What do you do? Well, first of all, not every accusation is true, though. Though false reports are rare. Uh, what do you do? You say, uh, "Listen, there's been an accusation. We're going to step away, or the elders will take some action." You do something, or else we lose credibility. And I got to tell you. The last few months, the Church of Jesus Christ has lost great credibility when we see the, we saw the Bill Heibel situation, but I could list five, ten more. I actually wrote an article uh, on this, how grieved I was with how many, all the heroes and legends I knew as a child had fallen to 
Idols of Clay, you know, an old song that some of you might recognize. Um, and, and so it matters to me that we might take better actions when there are actual accusations. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, it's interesting because it's in, in the moment, I think our default response is just to defend, to defend yep. or, or yep. to side emotionally one side or the other. But are you advising us then to, to, you know, let's, let's say a local church, uh, the pastor gets a, you know, someone in the, in the church, you know, a staff member or a pastor gets accused of, you know, something that could take them out of the ministry. Would you then, uh, instead of denying it or, or instead of saying, oh, well, you know, I mean, what kind of steps would you actually advise that church to, to move ahead in? Yeah. So every time somebody um, is uh, a police officer yeah. is accused, there's an accusation um, every time, every time. So in, in, in work, every time there's an accusation, there's an investigation every time. So I think the same should be true with us. Now, yeah. say, well, what about the biblical thing that on the basis of two or three, you know, accusing elder on the basis of two or three? Uh, I'm not saying that I, I receive these things as fact, but every time something comes up, I think it does say to us, how do we look at this? Now, typically a church will have elders or some governance structure that in that elders and governance structure, they should look at these things uh, and take action accordingly. That's the, that's the key thing. Yeah. That's good. That's good. Well, Ed, you mentioned in your book, well, here's actually a direct quote. We need to recognize that what we often see as a scriptural issue, the world around us sees as a justice issue. Their framework of belief around an opposition to LGBTQ beliefs is similar to how most people feel about racism. Now, yep. How should we stand up for our beliefs about human sexuality and lead our churches in light of this uh, in, in light of the way that we, we, you know, our culture sees us. Yeah. And I think this is a key issue because so as evangelical Christians and not just evangelical Christians, but others as well, um, we hold, uh, this view of marriage that has now become the minority understanding in our culture now, but it's important to understand the majority understanding. And we've actually done research on this that shows that most Americans see, uh, the issues here about, for example, same sex marriage and more. Uh, as civil rights issues. So we tend to see them as right or wrong, Bible issues, scripture issues, whatever it may be. They see them as civil rights issues, which is to them, to most, to many people, if not most, they perceive our objection to, for example, same-sex marriage as akin to our objection uh, to uh, people of different races getting married. Hmm. Or, for example, our desire, for example, to the baker not to be uh, to uh, forced to create uh, a wedding cake that with his own art that kind of expresses some affirmation or appreciation of, uh, of a marriage that he does not believe in. Uh, they see that the equivalent of uh, in the sixties restaurants, not allowing African-Americans to come and eat, or let's go one step further. The bathroom bills that have become so uh, prevalent. Um, I mean, we ought not, we ought not to forget that bathrooms in the past said no coloreds allowed or coloreds only on the doors. So these things all fit very well wow. to uh, inside these issues to people that are uh, that are very uh, have very different views, very very different views. So, so my my encouragement for Christians is to acknowledge that this is a minority position now. Um, that as a minority position, our task is to acknowledge that there might be some accommodation for us in culture with our minority position, but also to recognize that they don't hear always what we say. Uh, they don't hear. Uh, always what we'd say, 
they hear something different. And I think we've got to recognize that we start, start from that place. That's a really good point. Because I think sometimes, especially in light of the echo chambers that a lot of us are in, uh, on both sides, actually, it's just, you know, you're like, well, this is a black and white issue. And it's like, well, actually, you know, you, you know, the world's not seeing it the same way as we are. And exactly. we're not seeing it the same way as they are. So that engagement is key. Well, at least yeah, and I think it really is because, again, once you understand. So when you have a conversation with somebody and, and I have and I, I wish more people do, uh, I would. Um, when you have a conversation with somebody and you say, why do you feel that way? Why do you think that way? and they see it as a discrimination issue, I, I think it's important for us to note that this is just that. It is to them a discrimination issue. And, and I think one of the ways I think we can help is to acknowledge that uh, even, for example, um, you know, someone talks about the baker shouldn't be required to participate. Well, I assume that Christians then would also say that nobody should be refused service at a restaurant because they were uh, LGBTQ+. Plus. And so nobody should be refused, you know, employment in a, in a large, you know, public company because of this. So I think, I think ultimately some people are unsure how then do we respond if we say it's not a discrimination issue, how do we respond to issues of discrimination? So Ed, I appreciate your advice on how as church leaders, we need to first help our churches understand how we see the same issue, how, how we see this issue as being a scriptural issue and how the world sees this as being a justice issue. So I think that's first and foremost, something we can teach our congregation, but, but how do we get it? How, how do we avoid the whole pluralist, you know, the conversation leaning toward pluralism and, and people saying, well, okay. That's fine. I see it one way. You see it the other way. Let's go on with life. Like, how do you, yeah. how do you encourage yeah. a church to meaningfully engage? On Cause that's a, so that's a silly idea. It's a silly idea to all just rush to and pretend we all believe the same thing. Uh, getting through the age of outrage is not about pretending we all believe the same thing or Christians not believing what Christians have biblically discerned. Uh, because the end result is that's just, that just leads to, we all pretend and that's pretending doesn't work. I think a better course of action is to acknowledge that our different views put us at different places and we have to acknowledge that we're all going to, have to live together in this country. But for us as Christians is an additional part of this as well. Is that, so, so let's say that I, that I disagree. I'm, 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 for example, I'm deeply pro-life. Uh, I care deeply about life in the womb and that matters and how I might address that. Now I can take one of a couple of ways, right? I can, um, I can communicate that uh, through angry tweets that everyone who doesn't agree with me is stupid and doesn't know any better. And, and et cetera, et cetera. And, and that ultimately doesn't win ever, anyone over to my argument. Even if Roe v. Wade were to be overturned, yet to persuade people state by state anyway. And so you're not persuading anybody. I think a better way is to believe what we believe, but to not assume that everyone who disagrees with is just stupid, but instead to seek to persuade them in the midst of the cultural uh, public square. And so, and that's maybe social media is a big part of that. But again, I've seen some things on social media. I mean, keep in mind, you know, I live in a neighborhood, right? So um, on my street, I now know several of my neighbors and they've said at some point, hey, can we connect on Facebook? Now, I don't have, I don't have like a Facebook page where you can do that. So I, but they connect with Donna or your whoever. And so now I'm friends, we're friends through our family with, you know, 20, 30 people in our neighborhood. Well, but then let's say right now, I'm, we're in the middle of political season while we're recording this. Um, and let's say I just keep posting Everyone who disagrees with me is stupid. Here's why they're stupid. They're idiots. They're just terrible idiots because I'm trying to make my case, right? 
And what happens is the people who are my neighbors, if America is split 50-50, in some ways it is, you know, Democrat, Republican, though that's not everything. But so they're just posting, posting, posting. I'm posting, posting. I'm burning bridges with the people that I need to be building bridges with. Mm. So it impacts my witness. It impacts, because so, in other words, the people who are three doors down from me who met me at the community picnic became my friend on Facebook. They see me calling people like them an idiot because I believe stupid things and I'm idiotic. And then I'm going to go share the gospel with them. So I think it's a question of using your, your, your public conversation, which social media is, but also your private conversations as something other than making a point or caricaturing those with whom you disagree, but using it to build a bridge for the cause of Christ. I love that. Uh, you know, so I do find it fascinating that you, hell hath no fury like a neighborhood Facebook page. That is so true. Can I say that? Um, about, you can. I you think know, so. Dogs. And I think that's a quote from, and... from 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 a modified quote from literature. <laughs> Something <laughs> like that. Um, so tell us about uh, Twitter jackwagons. So you, yeah. you talk about um, Christians need to grasp the hypocrisy of engaging online in a way that would be wholly intolerable if we were face to face with others. So yeah, and it's kind of an interesting thing. It's it's kind of like they don't seem to get it, and and it's not just. I mean, you know. Sometimes it's the Calvinists, you know, some of well, these Calvinists just, you know, there is a kind of a thing when you, when there's enough people talk about, put the word angry before your theological persuasion, like angry Calvinists get to it. Some self-reflection might not be the worst thing, but it's not just that. But I, I got to tell you, I blocked my share. Uh, but but what, what happens is, is that there's a, um, there's a continual pattern where people think that they can say whatever they want and be angry at whoever they want or be angry at you and call you stupid and everything else. And it's just okay. And at some point it, it's so, so lacking in fruit of the Holy spirit. It's like, how do you not see what this is supposed to look like? How do you not tell? So, so what I would say is, I mean, think about how many times somebody, you see something horrible on social media, something uh, that is just, just, just wrong. And you click on the link because you want to know who would say such a thing. And the first thing in the bio is Christian. And I think you're doing it wrong if that's the first thing in the bio after you say something really uh, bad on, on social media. And then and somebody say, well, I'm just trying to be frank. Well, listen, if your name's not Frank, how about we stop that? <laughs> right. And you can be frank if your name's Frank, but the rest of us have to be godly and have the fruit of the spirit. And the fruit of the spirit does not end at the keyboard, the fruit of the spirit has to extend through the keyboard. And how many times in the last 10 years have you heard a sermon or a Bible study on social media? I don't hear much. Now, again, Christians in the Age of Outrage is not a book on social media, though it has some chapters on social media because it has been an amplification of the outrage. It's been an amplifier rather than a clarifier. Mm -hmm. And I think it matters that we would say, okay, if that's the case, what are we going to do about it? Well, I think part of it, we have to bring our social media under the Lordship of Christ and speak to others in such a way that we would acknowledge, we would acknowledge that our witness is at stake. Yeah. So, so as social media, you know, you mentioned that it was, it's an amplification. Is there anything else that you find amplifies it as well? Yeah. So part of it is just being with only around people that agree with you. You know, so part of it is the creating of that echo chamber. Certainly social media is an obvious and evident echo chamber. But, you know, one of the things going on right now and our country is just becoming more divided. Now, again, we can trace this back. I mean, country wasn't that divided under Jimmy Carter. Right. I mean, most people thought Jimmy Carter was a nice guy. Historians don't think it was the most effective presidency. Then you start seeing a little bit more under Ronald Reagan, um, you know, keep going forward and you, you see 
George H.W., but then Clinton, more division. Division becomes more and more evident. George W. Bush becomes more and more evident. Then Obama, really evident. And now, boom, under Trump. And so it's getting worse and worse. Now, it's not the, you know, people say this is the most divided our country's ever been. Anyone who says that has actually never seen the Civil War. Um, so the country's been more divided. People used guns to shoot at each other. Um, but I think for all of us, we have to acknowledge that this is, at least in my lifetime, I've never seen it this divided. Pew did a study and they tracked kind of a base of uh, liberal ideas and a base of conservative ideas and then kind of uh, overlaid them over Republicans and Democrats. It's in the book and kind of explained that Republicans have become much more conservative, Democrats much more liberal. I mean, we're seeing socialists who are running in the Democratic primaries, uh, you know, Bernie Sanders, a Democratic socialist, people winning. And on the Republican side, we're seeing nationalists in a way that we've never seen before. Nationalism uh, in a way, I mean, George W. Bush would never speak of immigrants and refugees in the ways that now some candidates speak of them. I mean, I saw one, uh, uh, one, one member of Congress actually tweet against multiculturalism. Uh, and I, I don't know about you, but, but I'm, I'm, she whiz. I mean, if you don't like multiculturalism, you're really going to hate heaven. Uh, yeah. and so, and I mean, I sort of get that there are people who have different ideas, but, but the, you know, he, he's been, uh, Steve, Steve King's actually his name, but kind of ripping against the ideas of diversity, uh, and more. And, and, and I would just say, that's just not, that's just not helpful. And, and for us, we've got to recognize that, that, the division has become real and evident in our society. What do you think? What do you think? Uh, algorithms and advertising. Uh, what do you think? How how has that played into where we are in society? Because I think one of the interesting things about uh, you know Facebook this past election and things like that is with algorithms, it seems like we are forced more and more into our own echo chambers. Uh, you know, just it, through marketing and advertising yep. and the things that they know we want to look at. It seems like. That's right. That's right. And that, it makes sense. I mean, so, I mean, I'm like right now we're recording this, but I'm looking at Daniel's picture from the connection that we're using. And behind it, I got some web page open, but there's a, there are literally tens of thousands of people on the other side of Daniel's face on my screen, whose job it is to get me to come back to the screen. Hmm. So, how are they going to get me to come back to screen? Well, finding things that I agree with or finding things that get me upset and I want to post about it and finding things that I want to push and more. Um, and so what, what, what happens is, is that the volume goes up and up and up because people are literally, literally uh, employed to get you back. And getting yeah. you back means yeah. <laughs> things that will, I mean, think about back in the, I mean, I remember the people talk about the reticular activating system in your brain. There's things that, you know, right now I'm sitting in my office, I'm not noticing anything, but there's a, there's a little fan that could spin around. And I wouldn't notice it until it started making noises or started wobbling because you don't notice most things around you. You notice things that threaten you. You notice things that are unusual, that are interesting to you. And so you can, so you can build a whole social media empire on, uh, on things that are threatening. I mean, I think about how much people work on clickbait headlines now. They got to be threatening you, interesting to you, unusual to you. So, so what happens is, of course, there's all these people whose job it is to convince you otherwise that uh, that that to just you know get along with life and build relationships with your neighbors. No, they want you at their screen. They want you upset about it. Yeah, that's good. 
Well, Ed, when we become primarily identified with any tribe outside of the body of Christ, and this is from your book as well, it's a quote, um, you know, you say, uh, when we when we become primarily identified with any tribe outside the body of Christ, especially when we are identified to the point where others are repelled by us, we've yeah. traded our kingdom-based identity for a world-based identity. Yep. Talk about that for a bit. Yep. Okay, and it's really key because for far too many people, they believe Jesus is coming back on Air Force One. They're acting like he's going to come back riding on a donkey or an elephant, and he's just not. And you should not be all in for any person, any politician, any elected official, or any party, because the kingdom of God is more important, is bigger, is more essential. And so what I would say is, and I see this so often, um, you know, some Christians get so excited about a, uh, a politician or a, or a candidate or, or an elected official, they find themselves unable to criticize when that person does something that's contrary to the gospel. Well, the reality is they do things that are contrary to the gospel. And if you can only say the good thing and you feel it necessary to put those things there, then what happens is you convince people that that's all you care about. And then, you know, you know, for example, you know, many evangelicals have been uh, very pro-President Trump. I don't know if you're allowed to talk about this in your podcast, but I will. Um, we know the numbers, very, very much, uh, very positive. But I would hope that we can, uh, for example, simultaneously be thankful that President Trump has uh, cared and, and appointed justices and judges that align with values that are pro-life, as he has said, so we can care both about life in the womb and about families being separated at the border and if you, in, in an unprecedented way. And if you can't see both of those as important, well, I, I can only see the one, well, that's because you're more driven by partisan views than you are by views of the kingdom of God. And I think it matters that you might be able to do both. So you can both say, uh, well, I'm glad President Trump emboy, uh, appointed uh, 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 the religious liberty ambassador, Brownback is his name. And I'm glad for that. I think that's a good thing. Uh, but I'm simultaneously uh, deeply concerned when I hear him say some things about women in the past. And so I can say both of those things. Now, here's the irony. When you guys are listening to this with me and even our listeners, they're like, well, is he allowed to say these things? Yeah, that's what Christians do. Christians can affirm the right and be prophetic about the wrong and when you've lost the ability to do that, your faith has been co-opted by a politician, a leader, or a party. And I don't want that to be the case on the left or on the right. Yeah, this is so as a Canadian listening. <laughs> oh, I mean, what am I even thinking? I forgot you're a socialist from across the border. <laughs> you play communist kickball and call it soccer. <laughs> but, but okay, so what's fascinating is I've lived in the States for close to four years now. Yeah. And it's just fascinating to me to just see how connected, uh, you know, I guess cultural Christianity is to politics and, and not even just cultural Christianity because, uh, Ed, you know, you, you, you give a distinction between different, you know, cultural Christianity, convictional and congregational. But even even in thinking about that, I'm just, I mean, what are, what are some of your thoughts around that? Because for Canadians, it's just... It's not that Christians are leaning more toward one side or the other. I would also say, yeah. if you could comment on this too, Ed, I would say the term evangelical has shifted in the last four years as well. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Let's talk about both. Okay, so first, this is very odd to people around the world, Daniel. And of course, as you're a you're a Canadian like my like my wife, 
So we living in the workers' paradise up north. Mm. Um, you know, it is it is strange because Christians would vote for all different kinds of parties in uh, in Canada. You know, yeah. so so uh, and there wouldn't be uh, you know kind of one where you're overwhelmingly present uh, for you know for evangelicals compared to others. There might be a couple. You know, for example, somewhere in Alberta tend to be a little bit more. Yeah. Uh, you know, some of the evangelicals might head that way a little bit more. Um, but here it's decidedly among white evangelicals in particular that evangelicals are overwhelmingly Republican because they're more overwhelmingly conservative. And I do think that that has some consequences when the, uh, yeah, you know, you could say that, you know, why are evangelicals there? Because uh, the Republican Party has chosen to be pro-life because, or at least has had that in their platform. Republican Party has, you know, been pro-religious liberty and more. So there's a natural and expected move in that direction. And the challenge is, of course, you know, this is where you find people of color have very different views as well. So uh, African-Americans identify with evangelical beliefs higher than any other group, but don't identify as much with evangelicals. They're the lowest percentage uh, with evangelical beliefs to identify mm -hmm. as evangelicals. So, so why, does, why does that matter for us? Here's what it matters. Um, Tim Keller recently had a great article. It says, how do Christians fit into the two-party system? And the answer is they don't. And I would just say, don't. Don't mm -hmm. fit in. Completely. And it doesn't mean don't avoid politics, right? Um, it doesn't mean, uh, but it does mean don't be comfortable with everything that anybody says. Because here's the thing, I know this is going to be a shock to you. Sometimes they're using you. Sometimes they're pandering to you. Hmm. Sometimes they really don't mean what they say. I was actually Chuck Colson, you know, and I host the radio show that Chuck Colson used to host. Uh, and so Chuck Colson talked about evangelicals being the uh, easiest, those Christian leaders being the easiest to fool when he was uh, working for Nixon. And I, man, I just, I just don't want that to be true today. And I just think that means being discerning. So it's not, doesn't mean that you can't be supportive. Doesn't mean that your vote this way, people vote for complex reasons and I'm, I'm for people thinking through their vote, but it does mean that you got to think and be discerning about how best to respond to our culture and how we walk through some of the political challenges and divisions. That's a good word. That's a good word. Well, thanks Ed for uh, the work that you poured into this book. Uh, it's called Christians in the Age of Outrage, How to Bring Our Best When the World is at Its wor Worst. It uh, has a ton of research in it, uh, threaded throughout it with uh, from LifeWay, LifeWay research. research. Research, by the way. Yeah. Done in partnership with LifeWay Research. Happy to do that since you've had Scott on. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, thanks again, Ed. Thank you, guys. Wow, what an interview. Yeah. Poppy Fair. was on point. He was. He was. And, I mean... I mean, Ed, if you look at his Twitter, <laughs> no, I mean, it, he's legitimately, he's not just pontificating about this. No. And uh, so I, a couple of days ago, um, tweeted something about Ed's book and, you know, you really got to look at it or whatever. And I had two people hijack the tweet mm. because either they don't like Ed. One, in one case, they, they were like, you know, want to say something uh, about it that didn't have anything to do with the book. Uh, and two, then there was a, a person who just decided that this was a great time. If they've got two, you know, decent sized Twitter accounts, uh, I'm going to hijack this thread and make it my own thing. Really? So at Christians in an age of outrage, here wow. we are, folks. For sure. And if you remember listening to episode 285, we interviewed Caleb, Caleb Kaltenbach and talked about how his kind of, he, he made it to Twitter or kind of, you know, the Internet Hall of Fame with what yes. he said about Costco. And that that makes it in Ed's book. 
Oh, it, it actually talks about him and and how he responded and how Caleb wasn't trying to, how he wasn't trying to go against Costco, but right. his, you know, it just got hijacked. Yes. Totally. Hi, hijacked by the media, hijacked by others. So if you've ever felt that way or, or seen someone say something online and you're like, oh, I can't, you know, if you've kind of reacted with outrage, Christians in the Age of Outrage is a great book to uh, understand how to react and also understand how to interpret how other people are doing that too, because it just seems to be more of a, a day in, day out phenomenon. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks again for listening in. Once again, this, as you probably noticed at the top of the podcast, we are uh, we recently announced and launched the Lifeway Leadership Podcast Network. <laughs> it's <laughs> and been then, a dream for a while, and it finally came to fruition this fall. Yeah. So if you go to leadership.lifeway.com, you'll be able to click podcasts and learn all about all the other podcasts that are a part of this network. But before you, uh, before you hit end or go to your next podcast, I'd love for you to quickly uh, grab your app and look up Ask Me Anything J.D. Greer. Because J.D. Greer, he has just launched a podcast called Ask Me Anything, Honest Questions, Quick Answers, where he actually will provide you with honest answers to some of your toughest questions. So you'll hear him talk about theological, ethical, and leadership matters. So it's a great podcast. It's pretty much no holds barred. Which is... A little bit scary for me. (laughs) But okay, let's go. So be sure to download their episodes, subscribe, leave a rating and review, and we will see you back here next time.